This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hey there! Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Passion People podcast series. This is your fortnightly dose of passion, motivation and inspiration and I'm your host Naga. I'm really happy you were able to join us to get an insight into the life of people who are following their passion and living their dreams or are on a path to doing that with or without a job. No matter what kind of a person you are or what stage of life you're in, I'm sure you will have some tangible takeaways from our conversation. Hey, Mahima, thank you so much for agreeing to do this uh, interview. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. It's really cool, by the way, that you're here. We're talking. Actually, fantastic. Yeah. I'm Mahima. And uh, I'm a potter. I'm getting used to saying that. <laughs> and I'm based in Bangalore. Alright. Can you tell us what you guys do here and uh, what, what, what else can happen? What you're thinking will happen moving forward? Yeah, so we're a pottery studio. Uh, we're about three months old. That's pretty young. Three and a half, I'm sorry. And uh, we're a studio where me and my colleague, studio assistant Ziba, make pottery for the home. So we make pots that kind of bring hopefully a little bit of warmth and happiness to you know your drawing room or your kitchen your dining table so we mostly make functional pottery and but i'm looking at this space as a place where some of us who are young potters to meet and talk about how we can take our practice and our making to the next level how can we explore our materials and our uh, thoughts around uh, making a little more uh, seriously okay and in that light i think at some point i want this place to become a place where we can have interns can teach and maybe just have workshops and meetups talk about this geek out around ceramics and nice. also take forward i think to your things to do about just just urban pottery forward okay so how how has it been like so far? Uh, I don't know a lot of people who are into this. I, I know a lot of people who are interested and they always ask me. But how did uh, how did you get uh, into this world? I took a class like everybody does. Nobody like sets up, gets up and says, "I will be a bottom." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took a class alongside alongside my full time job. So it's an evening class, and I really liked it. And I kept uh, the studio was really lovely because they kind of allow you. To come in as much as you like from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Even later, you can be the last one to shut the studio, which is great because it gives students the time to explore their work. But I did that alongside my full-time job and liked it enough that they had an internship position. So I did a six-month internship with them alongside my full-time job, which was okay. well, long days there. Going back to whatever uh, Mahima is talking about, right, like doing a course along with a full-time job, I'd just like to add that one of the more important things when we're following our passion is try to figure out if the balance is correct. And that is what I think Mahima has done extremely well because uh, even though the the in, the idea of pottery has been in the back of her mind, she's, she's taken to it gradually. She's taken the freedom to explore her interests, which we will listen in the coming uh, part of the episode. But what I wanted to emphasize was the fact that she was flexible enough to incorporate her passion along with her full-time job 
for a particular period of time and gradually she was able to make the shift altogether saying that this is something that i want to do i think a lot more of us would really benefit from having that kind of a flexibility in our lives where we say that if i'm interested in something i'm going to spend time on it because time is the only and the biggest investment that we can do in something and then i because i want to know the the process it's a very laborious process to make ceramics i mean it's not you know the scene on goes to like this it looks so smooth and silky and easy right can you walk us through the process as well yeah sure and yeah and um things happen around the whole time the process is uh, that you asked so you have clay which is the earth it means a bunch of minerals and then you can mold that clay any way you like so you can mold it by hand just by hand entirely the way people from the neolithic age have been doing and then you or you throw on the potter's wheel it's called throwing and that's what we do here and uh, once you've made the pot then you let it dry out entirely mm. and then you have to subject to intense heat and pressure to turn it into ceramic material that's why you need the big fat oven called the kiln okay and that takes your temp- your pot to really high temperature anything about 1000 degrees celsius or near about or above up until about 1300 degrees celsius and then it becomes ceramic and then becomes a thing that it's going to last forever that's why you find pottery from you know how old many thousand years ago i think the oldest pottery is from about 8000 years ago wow yeah so it becomes a, like a shard of material that does not just like dissolve into the earth as easily mm. as uh, regular minerals so um, and that's that's the beauty of it because it's all science and chemistry and uh, coming from the brass background it was very intimidating for it to be all science and chemistry because it's not just the making of it it's also the working with the materials so once it's out of the oven then you coat it in a thin layer of glass and um, yeah, that's what that is mm-hmm. uh, on your cup naga and that's what kind of makes it food safe <laughs> so if you that's what protects the the ceramic from the coffee oh. that's very corrosive <laughs> and so the thin layer of glass is called a glaze and that's a different science in itself and there's some wonderful people actually in that who are doing that oh yeah so it's a lot of science and it's a lot of patience in process so people often ask how long will it take you to make that mug i would say um, from beginning to end i would just go work on the mug it would take at least a week what yeah. what yeah it spends like i don't know like what, 20 hours in the oven in any case and it cools down it takes Hours and then a lot of stuff in the mm. beginning and the middle. Okay. So, yeah. It's a labor intensive process. I can imagine. Yeah. So uh, it's just you and Ziba right now on the team? Yes, it is. And thankfully, we uh, have enough space to accommodate more folks. And right now, we also share our space with my partner, Mani, who's not a potter at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. Three months in, how's the response so far? Our first sale is going to be hopefully around the time that you that this gets this gets out. Last year, and uh, actually probably a little sooner than that. We're thinking by the end of September, the beginning of October. Okay. So uh, I think we know the response then. But other than that, we do have like some commission work that's gone out for the cafes here. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, sorry, only one cafe, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, so, what what are so when you say ceramics, right? What what all does that include? That's really mm, 
nice that I have the chance to talk about that because a lot of people think that ceramic is uh, is uh, you know bone china or something get at Fab India, which is absolutely true also. But uh, ceramic is also terracotta. People think terracotta or earthenware is not ceramic, and that's misconception. That is absolutely a hundred percent misconception. So we work with materials like earthenware and terracotta, mm-hmm. and we actually glaze them, which is not something historically you can find in the Indian subcontinent. Right, and it's it's always been like those more rusty yeah. stuff that whatever is sitting yeah, behind you there. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Uh, you know, very stuff that you see. I would say particularly in northern India, also from Tamil. Which is this brown clay with a white something on it? Yeah. And then you think, oh, that's that's terracotta and that's an inferior thing. Mm-hmm. So ceramic actually includes a few different kinds of materials. It's a firing range. So terracotta is like a range where you fire it at a lower temperature, and the porcelain would be on its way to becoming glass. So you fire that at a higher temperature. And then in the middle there is a wide range of clays called stoneware. And a clay is something you take out of the earth. So clay from Bangalore is going to be very different from clay from Somewhere in New Zealand, clay from England, or clay from Florida, and a place like Maui, which is in Hawaii, is so young. Hawaii actually, I don't think any of the Hawaiian islands, Hawaii does, but they don't have clay because it's such a young island. So yeah. But how does uh, how does clay get formed? Clay is uh, <laughs> Clay is a material called feldspar, and it's uh, it's the most naturally it's the most abundant naturally occurring substance on earth. So what? It's pretty, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how is sand and the stuff that we find regularly yeah. different from clay? Yeah, good question. Sand is a different chemical mineral composition. Okay. Clay is a different mineral composition. Okay. Yeah. So sand has more of something called silica, and clay is a perfect combination of Alumina and silica actually in different quantities, and then it'll have some impurities here and there, like iron, which will make it red. Yeah, and then when you have different kinds of colors and stuff added, and it's basically you you kind of have to have a chemical knowledge as I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want blues and you put cobalt, you want greens, you put chromium, and if you want pinks, you kind of have to really scratch your head because it's a hard color. <laughs> but yeah, you kind of combine. Cobalts and oxides and carbonates and so uh, get cool. color. Yeah, and all, there's some kind of lovely magic that happens in the kiln uh-huh. when there is enough oxygen or lack of, where these colors really pop out, and that's beautiful. Really, it's a lot of science. Yeah. But when I'm making it on the wheel, it's going to be brown, and then when I put it in the kiln, the actual color comes out. Mm, yeah, you can say so. There's a few things. Uh, like that, that mug in your hand is made out of porcelain, and it's a white clay. And it was white when we started, maybe a little bit grayish, mm-hmm. and then it was, and it's pretty much white now. It's been subject to about 50 degrees Celsius. So it's um, uh, some clays kind of retain that color, but some clays would look gray now, and once fired would look peach, and some clays would look yellow now, and they would look red when fired. So again, the heat and the temperature, the heat and the pressure just does uh, go through these things. Fantastic. And that's what this study is. Yeah. Nice. But how did uh, 
you know you're taking you're doing this full time right and before this you said you were working as a fundraising assistant so was that transition hard for you to kind of go from having like a full time job to kind of diving in full time with something that you are passionate about yes because i'm hyper aware of the fact that this is a very elitist field and that not everybody has the privilege to be doing this and because that is the beauty of the time that we live in that you can can take the risk of doing something that you love that is not entirely conventional and you don't know if you're going to be able to make a living out of it because with middle class upper middle class affluence it is a possibility the people become more discerning about what they want in their homes and what kind of art speaks to them it's a loaded term there <laughs> and that you kind of give yourself permission to do that because i know i struggled with that but happy that i'm right awesome and you know diving a little bit deeper in around this space uh you know a lot of us uh, i can say like me included have a lot of difficulty like you said giving them the giving themselves that space to actually do it right so uh, what what would what would your uh, you know two sense of advice be for people what are the things that you know that generally go into like the decision making process of you know now i am going to pursue my passion full time if there were uh, things that you could you know share Oh, thanks. <laughs> so, really. On the one hand, I feel like the right thing to say is that oh, if you love something, just do it. But on the other hand, I think that see, you're not going to get good at something unless you do it. When are you ready for that thing to become full time? You—that's a question you have to ask yourself and be very honest about, because there is a quality of work that you have to put forward. what you do if your venture is very personal like this is i can't have a crap work coming out of this place and put my name on it this means this work needs to have integrity that uh, has integrity on to me and i would say that i mean again just pulling less conventional work out of my career like if you want to become a writer I don't know. Literally, things are coming away, but anything, coffee roaster. You need to acknowledge to yourself: Do I know enough about it that I feel I can invest my energy into it in a way where I know work of integrity is going to come out of this space? And that's a very hard question that I had to ask myself, and that I think people should be asking for to produce quality work in anything. food apparel specifically in the space of art there's a lot of shit art out there <laughs> and that's according to me it doesn't have to be according to anyone else but when is it that you can qualify a work as work that goes in itself and that means something and that's not stupid so pursue your what you want to do mm-hmm. but be intentional in making And once you're ready to do that, when you feel like you have a space, well, it's going to be fine. Like it's going to be off at least. It's not going to be fine, but at least I know enough to get started. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, get get my get mentorship. 
and I know I had a mentor and I'm very grateful to her for it. And you need that, you need mentorship. So find someone who you think will be able to guide you through it. Okay. You're tuned in to the 23rd episode of the Passion People podcast series. It's really interesting uh, to know that uh, there are things like chemistry that have an interplay with something as simple as pottery. Because on the surface, we think that these things are so simple, but as you dive deeper, they get so much more complicated. My case in point being uh, the array of ceramics and the possibility that it provides us. And I think that is something that's really interesting. The point I'm trying to make uh, with this uh, interjection, so to speak, is the fact that if you are going to spend time on something or if you are going to do something, uh, A, we should uh, have done the required homework and B, be ready to embrace the uncertainty as well as the additional responsibilities that uh, comes with it. In Mahima's case, it was uh, maybe learning about uh, chemistry, but right now, because she's so interested in this, uh, uh, she, she it doesn't it doesn't even impact her because her pottery has brought her closer to chemistry. But her passion really helped drive a different kind of a perspective towards a subject that she was averse to. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, the point that Mahima makes about: Are you ready to make your passion? your whole time job? Do you have the ability to put out work that you're satisfied with? Do you know enough that a work with a decent level of integrity is going to come out of what you're going to do? I think it's an extremely hard hitting point and and one that a lot of us uh, need to embrace. We, uh, when we are fascinated about an idea, it is really easy for us to get carried away with it. The important thing is to step back analyze it rationally and try and see if we are making sense in the steps that we're taking or to go back to you know whatever she's put so beautifully that is this a work of integrity is this a work that i'm going to be proud of do i have the capability to say that this is going to be one of the best things in this field or this is the best that can be done and that is the level and the standard of work that is required in today's day and age where uh, people are so competitive and the companies are so competitive and in case we're trying to take our passion as a whole time venture this is something that definitely needs to be on uh, the back of our minds and how how much what was your role of your family and your partner and you know you taking up uh, this uh, decision because I know that, uh, you know, on the one hand that, you know, some of us are extremely fortunate and that we get all the support in the world. But on the other side, there are also people who also like, you know, they want to engage or wear all of those hats and be a devil's advocate and tell us, you know, things that uh, we may or may not want to hear. Right. And then, but it would be something we may need to hear. But how, how was your experience, if I can ask? I mean, I don't think any of this space of my work or any of this would conceivably happen without support from particularly my partner, my husband, Manu, who is also my uh, office mate, which is very nice. Because, um, well, you know, he's more of a risk taker than I am and there is an element of risk obviously involved in setting up this space. It's not just financial risk, it's emotional risk too. It's because you're investing so much of your just heart and uh, energy. And also because, uh, 
I'm very fortunate to have, my parents are very liberal, progressive, and growing up in a city like Delhi, which is so cosmopolitan, that I meet all sorts of people with all sorts of work backgrounds, and particularly because my parents are from a science background, and first one in the family to not be from a science background, and have taken humanities in school despite having done well in 10th class, <laughs> <laughs> fortunate to have studied real arts because that that gives you an understanding of uh, the why or at least equips you better in understanding why uh, your social, economical, political life, your sphere of uh, everyday living is the way it is and just to be cognizant of that kind of helps you uh, become I think entrepreneurial. Not to say I'm very good at being at that, but I think I think it's nice. That's all. Yeah. very nice. But what made you choose uh, humanities uh, apart from you know reading Freud in class, class <laughs> ninth and not understanding class ten. <laughs> it's such a shameful thing. These interpretations of the world. fact. Yes, yes, that's and, such a fat book, right? And, it, and that was volume two, I think, I picked up, not even one. <laughs> that was the only thing available. And I'm pretty sure all of it, you know, nothing has really, I have not retained any of it. But anyhow, I just thought it really interesting that, oh, we can study people. So I thought I would take up psychology. I took up psychology with a subject in the 11th and 12th grade. Mm-hmm. But okay, I'll do my bachelor's in psychology and then didn't make the cutoff. And I, my second choice was history. And that's what I got. So that's what I took. And I'm better for it. That was the question why I take humanities. More or less. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, more or less. Yeah, it, because I didn't want to study um, science because I hated chemistry and just the one before. I didn't know science. <laughs> and I love it now. And I wish I had a solid foundation in it and I my best friend from school will attest to it how miserable she and I were in economics classroom no what was that business studies was it? yeah business studies oh, I guess good lord sorry <laughs> I don't know that's your feeling but it just was not the thing for both of us and both of us happened to tell our parents at the same time can't do this we went home crying can't sit in business studies yeah and took humanities. Nice. And what was the kind of work that you were doing like right after you finished studying? I did uh, masters in history too, besides bachelors, and then I thought that academia was where it's at. Published uh, my faculty professor was good enough to get me to see what's in a paper I wrote, and. Uh, he asked me to get in touch with a historian and to study it deeply. So for a year, I researched something that got published in a book, which is crazy now that I think about it. Awesome. So I thought, yeah, academia was where it's at. But then I thought that I, I wanted to get out of Delhi above anything else because you kind of you live in a silo. People go to cafe coffee day, go to a mall. That's kind of I mean, you know, it's middle class, upper middle class lifestyle, and I didn't want that. I wanted to in a smaller town because that's how you experience a different life 
I went to Udaipur to work with a really wonderful um, non-profit called Vidyavavan Society and they have the Vidyavavan Education Resource Centre which is basically it's a place where they work with well the faculty works with the NCRT and SCARTs to develop curriculum and to work with, um, with teachers from different education boards and I worked as a faculty assistant there and helped write curriculum and content for I can't believe now the Bihar SCERT Jharkhand wow. SCERT and history and it's such a political subject it's such a charged subject because it's all about identity and yeah. and, and it's not a coincidence I feel that some of the people I've met in pottery have had an interest in let's say history or sociology because your work eventually becomes about your identity mm-hmm. and social sciences are pretty much an exploration of individual or collective identity. So that was a year there. It was exciting. And then I studied because I thought uh, my sister had done linguistics and then I met some people who there were a lot of linguists at Vidyabhavan. <laughs> I thought cognitive science and linguistics is what I want to do next. I think I'm ready to study again. So I studied for another year in Denmark. Cognitive science. Whoa, and so cool. It was, it was in, this is in Copenhagen? No, this is in a city called Aarhus. This was Aarhus University. Okay. Where C was made. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's its claim to fame. Also, Michael learns to draw. That's really terrible. Sorry, I shouldn't be that bad from the name. So they're from there. Is yes, it? so that is their <laughs> other claim to fame. Okay. Yeah, they had a really nice cognitive semiotics department. That's where I was. And then I thought, okay, I will study and apply for a PhD in, in well, you can say, where cognition and education. But uh, anyhow, education is again such a sensitive field because it has to do with identity politics again. And you want your kids to have a certain identity as they grow up and it's so much... Uh, gender politics in, in education. Too. I thought about well, there was a specific field I was interested in and spoke with someone about it and then felt a little discouraged. I said, ah, I think I don't want to be isolated in a library. I think I want to work again. So I did. And being liberal, I, I, being a history and psychology graduate of any sort in the United States where you're not, my husband had moved to the US by that time in Seattle. And being a graduate with this background, you don't find jobs easily. I will tell you that. If you are me, that is the first job I got as a fundraising assistant because I helped write some grants and stuff in Vidya Bhavan. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I worked for a nonprofit that worked with early childhood education. And uh, at, at developing curriculum that's anti-racist, anti-culturally you know, relevant, culturally non-biased, anti-biased education, and uh, that was that was a great experience. And I worked for another place that made parks, public parks, okay. yeah, all over the country, and that was that's probably the best, nicest job I've had. Did you also other get to visit those parks? <laughs> uh, no, they were all over the country, but yeah, they had a couple. Okay. Yeah. There is money to basically claim 
land that would not get built into malls and parking lots and become public parks instead. And we wish we had something. Oh, that's a really had, nice initiative. Yeah, it's a pretty old organization too. And I think we really need that here in our country. Mm-hmm. Spaces just get gobbled up by the prestige groups and the <laughs> like. <laughs> right. But then from Seattle, you guys moved back to Bangalore. Yeah, that was always the plan. So we did. And we moved pretty much to Bangalore for because by the end of my having stayed, there was a, a year in the middle when I didn't work because of visa related issues. And that's when I took pottery a little seriously alongside volunteering here there. And my mentor, Sarah K. She was very encouraging and um, I realized I wanted to do this seriously. Manu was very encouraging of anything else because I think I needed a push. And yeah, I was looking for pottery before we moved back home because Manu has a remote job wasn't bummed by this and I was looking for a place where maybe I could work in this uh, in ceramics and there's a lovely studio here in Bangalore called PlayStation uh, run by a wonderful man Ganesh M whose last name I won't pronounce because I will mess it up <laughs> he uh, runs PlayStation which not only has programs for uh, adults and kids to to learn pottery, hand building and throwing at the potter's wheel but they also set up the infrastructure for potters um, which is you know, you do a, a pottery wheel and a kiln and clay and glazes and just general some sort of knowledge around ceramics so they are really good at guiding you in that and, um, and I think that a place like that is the future because a lot of people in field that is considered craft work Mm-hmm. People cling on to tradition, and my tradition is a is lovely. It's it's, uh, it's uh, it gives us all a warm feel, fuzzy feeling of community and identity. Sometimes tradition can stymie work and can stagnate, and uh, you need like uh, you need good quality equipment and different kinds of materials. I'm glad that PlayStation is there. I teach there. And you get to meet people who are interested in pottery. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, how is PlayStation different from Radio Pots? PlayStation? Which you run, yeah. where we are right now. Yeah. PlayStation is, uh, it's a, besides, so, like I mentioned, it's a community art studio. It has people from different kinds of teachers there. So, they have different classes that happen. Some classes will focus more on something called hand building, some will focus more on something called throwing at the potter's wheel, something will focus more on glazing. And then they have and then they have like corporate workshops and stuff too, where education programs in school making is now they're venturing into. And so that's their take. And here again the emphasis is more on on developing my own voice in this work, in this medium. And for Ziva, hopefully to also, uh, I know like, I should speak for someone, but I'm pretty sure that's her intention that we become good makers mm-hmm. and uh, more sentient of, of what we want out of this 
ceramics. And uh, and maybe in the future, I mean, we've had inquiries, few inquiries for classes, but we're not ready because we have work. But we have classes here, and maybe have a couple more potters come in, so that because we have the space, and we have the materials where uh, people can find where people have reached a stage where they think I think I'm a little more serious about this, and I think I want to be in an environment where others are as serious as I am, and then we have a richer, deeper conversation. What would be your uh, advice for people who want to get into the field? Like who want like I want to. I want to learn more. I want to start pottery. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where can I go? Yeah. Uh, Apart from PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It's something I want to PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a place like it, like anyone who's teaching, anyone who's taking students, you know, a beginner class. I know there are places in Bombay. There are there are places. I mean, in the cities, there will be like a a few potters. Okay. Uh, you know, who take students. So even if you know someone who knows someone who knows someone who does this, you know, just approach them here. I just want to try it out. I would say do that. I'd also say if you can find a place where there's a group class, don't hesitate. It's really nice because it's going to be like it, it. It's going to begin in the group, I think, because you are they grow together and you see that everybody's struggling with what you're struggling. And um, so. Like I wanted to learn pottery when I was in Udaipur too, and I never expressed it to the right person who was the illustrator at the uh, Development Education Resource Center, a lovely chap named Prashant Sony, and he said, "Are if you wanted to learn, you could have just gone to X Y Z Delhi, and there's so many potters sitting there, and you know if you ask them, Priya, please, mujhe, I want to try something, they would give you a class in a heartbeat." I think if you really want to try it, and if you're in a place where you don't know of any potters who teach, or maybe if you find like a local a potter, then ask him or her, or just get some clay from somewhere. Get some clay off the internet. Bring it home. Just use it. Any websites okay. that you would recommend? Yeah, I think like if you go on Amazon and look for clay, like there's something called polymer clay. Okay. Uh, which kind of hard. And then there is like there's air dried clay, and then there's regular you know, clay. Um, I think you can get it on off Amazon, and you can definitely get it off PlayStation. So they have like a sale. Oh, uh, cool! Yeah, they have an online store. I know, I'm definitely picking okay. it up. <laughs> You're in Cairo. You should like you. You could take. They have a really nice, and uh, maybe like other places where folks are, there'll be like a place where you can just take you know one day thing. Yeah, a, a workshop. Yeah, workshop. it's like a guided two-three-hour session where you can just you know you have clay, you don't know what to do with it, so you know they can guide you. Make an elephant, you know, so yeah. I think I'll definitely. I'm. I know I'm gonna do it. Awesome. <laughs> that's really nice. So that's a recommendation for people who wanna do it. How have you been? I know from personal experience that. Nurturing something while it is always which is just starting is one of the most emotionally draining or difficult part, right? I I don't know if you're uh, going through the same difficulties, but how would you uh, for emo for our emotional well-being? Like, what would you recommend for someone who's just starting something out? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Uh, okay, let me rephrase. I guess what what do you do to kind of recharge 
or you know just get back your creative energy right because i know a lot of this is having the juices flowing having the right energy and you know having your mind free enough to explore those ideas and you know make it manifest on the wheel yeah i don't know what i do i think i can't really say like like to go home and do the crossword and cook <laughs> i don't know watch mindless tv sometimes watch the news i don't know it's i would say so there is chuck close an artist is american fellow he said that you know, it's not um, it's not a question of what he said was that it, and it relates to i think this work on some level the inspiration is for amateurs and for us we just have to go to work every day and <laughs> so i think that for even for creative work to think oh my creative juice is not going today i need to take a day off and go to a park i mean yes that's also true that's true for any work your work any um, traditional line of work everybody needs to recharge and you recharge regularly time in your dog but really getting creative juices flowing you just keep at it that's it okay just get back to work yeah just get back to work and just be at this have like a regular day and it's not like a suddenly a great spark of work is going you know something beautiful being made today it will only be made if you just keep at it and you know, some of it will be really lovely and some of it will be amazing and some of it <laughs> so i guess it's just perseverance and uh, having the wherewithal to just face it day after day after day is that what it would be yeah okay awesome awesome any other uh, closing comments uh, before we wrap up mahima i know that uh, you know a lot of heavy questions yeah <laughs> a lot of heavy questions but uh, you know I've, i know that i've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know your journey and uh, i know that i'm going to take that workshop <laughs> but uh, moving forward like uh, is there anything would you have like can ask for from our listeners would you want them to have to or do anything if given the opportunity i would say we don't think of handmade we don't I think we in our and again it's a very generic thing to say, but we often don't think we don't care much for handmade things because it is ubiquitous in our country. There is an artisan for everything, and there's such a rich culture of making. We don't appreciate it because it's everywhere. But people have asked me here. Oh, I saw X Y Z potters work online. She or he happens to be. from the western world and say oh my god that mug was 50 dollars or 70 dollars or 30 dollars that's crazy for a mug obviously don't convert it to rupees it will be crazy <laughs> but i think that there is a, a different sensibility a different appreciation for handmade in uh, in let's say that part of the world and i can only say because i've lived there for a little bit of time i can't speak for other cultures but for us we are little less uh, sensitive to or less caring about something that's handmade so just general appreciation for things that are handmade and i think it always helps to and people do that every day in life in any case 
most people are not sloppy house keepers and you know you make your choices this is going to be my plate or this is going to be my seat and you know my cushion cover or whatever <laughs> my toothbrush has to be green not pink <laughs> something like that we all make these choices so it's i think that maybe you know you can have be aware of the choice that you're going to make in a thing like a mug <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. It does. <laughs> well, appreciation for the handmade things and, you know, be more uh, yeah, aware of our choices. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a general thing in life. And I think be aware yeah. of a choice when you're voting. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is just another one of those things. Like, we have to make choices all the time. Do I place my handle over here? With how will the index finger rest on the handle? And comes to the rim of the mug or under it and these are all design questions and we're designing our lives. So, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Had a great time uh, talking to you, Mahima. Uh, Thank, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate You've been listening to the 23rd episode of the Passion People podcast series. This is your host, Naga. I hope you found this conversation insightful and you had some tangible takeaways. My takeaways from the conversation were Mahima's unwillingness to accept the status quo when she moved from Delhi to Udaipur, where she wanted a small town experience, wanted to work in a not-for-profit. The openness and fluidity about the way she went about things. She had to get, she was interested in psychology, which pulled her towards the humanities, took history still was being tugged at psychology, so went to study cognitive science in Denmark, got an extremely different perspective about the way the world works, the way the mind thinks uh, because of uh, the social sciences background. And uh, that is what she brings to the fore with her pottery practice with by creating some uh, things that we can have in our kitchen that brings a little bit more warmth and a little bit more happiness to our lives. Because it is being done in such a way that it has to be taken uh, so much care of. And uh, that is what we are able to bring home with us. We've already spoken about the fact that if you're putting out work or if you're putting out something in the universe, it needs to be something that is extremely good or needs to meet a particular standard. And that is something I wanted to re-emphasize on. Last but definitely not the least, she speaks about mentorship and how it is an extremely important component of a venture or a passion or something new that we are doing. Because if you are talking to somebody who has already done this in the past, it will help eliminate a lot of questions and a lot of problems that we are going to face moving forward and help us ease us through this journey. I do hope that you found this conversation insightful. And uh, for similar conversations around uh, topics ranging from adventure, travel, art, and coffee, please tune in to the other conversations of the Passion People podcast series. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.